0: Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. um let's go ahead and get started then we always like to start off on tpq20 by saying uh, <laughs> my dog just burst into the room hear a <laughs> big, uh, we've got a 120 pound sheepadoodle that likes to uh, likes to make appearances hi noodle oh um he's a yeah
1: what's his name
0: his name is noodle
1: oh that's perfect <laughs>
0: here's there All he
1: right. is
0: hi hi noodle Everybody
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's so cute lately
0: he's like to jump in at the beginning of things and just lay down here which has been fine as long as he's quiet so anyways like what i was saying we always like to start off on tpq20 by saying we know who you are but our audience might be new to you so if you were to give the bio that is not on the back of mother tongue and not with your publicist uh who would you say you are
1: What a fun question, uh, if not a terrifying one. (laughs) Uh, Well, I am Preeti Bangani. Um, I was born in the city of Bombay. I'm an only child. Um, And I think um, my earliest memory of being a bratty only child is that I love to sing and to dance. Mm. um, To no artistic perfection, but I've always been... (laughs) uh i've i've always been full of beans um and to that effect uh i think my earliest memories go back to my mother sort of putting me a lot on stage because i insisted to be put uh on stage doing like um theater, stage acting, elocution, fancy dress competitions. Um, and my parents have encouraged, you know, every little whim of mine. And I I grew up to pursue uh, commerce and economics. I went to business school. Uh, and Which I is worked... the
0: polar opposite of everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? I heard an Ocean Wong interview uh, where, you know, he was also... Um, in a management or a corporate job and he said what was the dream there Um, but I did that for uh, eight years um, and all of the time as an adult that I was working um, I never sort of gave up on the full of beans part of me I kept doing uh, street theater stage theater um, and around the year 2012 the subculture of open mics for stand-up comedy and spoken word poetry in or um, Indian poets doing poetry in English sort of opened up in the city that I was living in. Um, and suddenly I became the person who worked for eight hours a day and then became, and went to these open mic venues, often like CD bars um, or you know, garages of um, people's houses. Uh, with a folder of poems, uh, reading work in Hindi and English, you know, in Bombay we speak a coded mix of Hindi and English um, and that's that's how I came into writing uh, until very, very late in life I realized that I was privileged and also liability free enough that I could study writing more formally and I moved to San Francisco to <laughs> come here for an MFA and then I've been writing and teaching ever since in this part of the world
0: wow all right so we uh, we have a few things to unpack here uh (laughs) so so we'll get to the change from art to business and commerce and back because there's there's a lot of three roads there that we could get to um so i was gonna as you were as you were talking i was i was wondering if spoken word poetry was going to was going to kind of creep into the mix there um what is for you, we could just start there kind of, what is what is for you the difference between, I guess, ah, here we go. When did you first enjoy being on stage in front of people versus being put on stage in front of people?
1: I think I enjoyed being on stage when I was five years old. And uh, I think that's one of my earliest memories. My mother made me a robot costume. (laughs) Uh, This is the year 1991. And, uh, you know, we had a fancy dress competition in school and she took a lot of like, pliable soft cardboard and tinfoil and, you know, wrapped it all around. She made a sort of you know these uh, mesh wires and chicken wires and she used all of that to make it look all electrical. Um and the fun part was that we could write our own speeches. So oh. I think I put like eight or nine sentences together with <laughs> her help. And I have such a distinct memory of being in the green room and then climbing up those four steps with my tinfoil legs. Um, and I love how free it made me feel. Um, oh. It it I think is my in hindsight my earliest memory of Um, having you know like childlike freedom but also being very serious in what (laughs) I was doing Um, and in many ways as I continue to learn poetry I think that's that's the synergy i'm always seeking or that's the emotional space i'm always trying to return to um and it it all sounds very formalized now but i think that spirit of fun was sort of refueled into my aesthetics of writing irrespective of genre when i studied with uh, the fantastic poet amy Nezukumar tathil who absolutely centers the idea of play um, in her pedagogy. So I, I think this is what it was. It's like to take the furrowed eyebrows out of the process of writing. That's Ooh, what I' like I'm that. trying to seek.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. I, it's it's interesting a lot of the, a lot of the the spoken word poets that I've talked to over the last couple of years um, did not start so a lot of theater groups and things like that but it came later to them. Um, Or some of them didn't realize that they even wanted to be on stage until they started reading poetry on stage. Um, One of the questions that I'd like to ask a lot of of performance poets is, uh, do you write differently when you know it's going to be something that's performed versus something that's gonna be read? How do you go about that?
1: Yeah, you know, prior to a more, formal classroom education, I had not quite made the distinction, uh, which I also think to such a large extent is an elitist distinction between uh, performing a poem and writing a poem. Um, And I want to say that I still approach it in the same way. Um, One of my go-to revision tactics, and I have it on a post-it here on my wall, is read it aloud. And I... I really, really think that breath plays such an important role in translating consciousness onto the page is that I try as much as possible to transpose, you know, my funness of stage into how the line breaks. Mm, Um, I heard uh, Patricia Smith read at our uh, program a couple of years ago, and I saw that same sort of vibrancy alive, you know, it's like, even when her body and voice are absent and we are just sitting with the page you can actually see the performance unfold because it's built into the line it's built into the sound um so I, I think, but although I, I feel always that it's a process that like it the page and the stage, they keep building off of each other. So many times I have newer works that I'll take to an open mic and then I'm literally changing up words or nuance as I read it out or indentation or inflection um, as I'm reading out loud. So then it gives me a hint that, oh yes, this is not right on the page. And then we go back and, you know, redo the little Lego blocks um so for me i feel like it's continuously a conversation but definitely one of the litmus tests to let to let the paper be as it is is to read it out loud too so i'm always imagining that i'm on stage and my poor partner has to like bear the the echoes of you know me continuously (laughs) talking to myself to these
0: walls (laughs) i love that i some of the uh some of the people i've spoken with um I've talked about how on stage they are okay. You know, once in a while you, you do feed off of the crowd at times and you might change a line or two, or, you know, there might be an additional pause or a direction that you didn't know was there. Um, it's always interesting to hear the poets who are very much, this is what I wrote and this is how it's supposed to be, um, you know, and, and perform it like a play. Um, and then those who are playing off of those around them um, and willing to kind of step out of that box and maybe be a little bit more vulnerable with a with a line that wasn't there originally, or a, you know, some type of some type of aside. I like that a lot.
1: Absolutely, and I think what you said. Just to add on to that, I think atmospherics plays such an important role. Uh, For bar crowds, for example, you know, I mean, in the book, you have a little bit more control in the way you can sequence poems, Mm -hmm. Uh, you possibly want to, you know, buy a sort of tender loyalty with uh, some harder poems at the beginning, and then, you know, set it or like set, set up the field for like dark comedy or something like that. But you can totally switch up the order in a bar setting. For example, you could begin funny and, you know, get the laughs in and then get into the deeper stuff. So a lot of, I think improvisational structuring happens, uh, depending on where I'm reading out, reading my work out loud.
0: Well, and do you, so in, in your performances, you were talking about how, you know, essentially it is a, you know, at times bilingual for you. Um, Do you find yourself ever, how do you play with your own work when it comes to translations? So are you somebody who will, will you write it out in, in two languages? And when you do that, are they, uh, are they more of a conversation with each other or are they fairly, are they fairly identical?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I think for the longest time, I haven't written a poem start to end in Hindi. I used to do that a lot. Um, Or, you know, when I was doing more, uh, more uh, unstructured or like open mic stuff about 10 years ago and I think I was also doing that because I was riffing off of what I was seeing other people go in with at the mic and a lot of people were writing in Hindi um so I I still do write in Hindi I'm you know I've written screenplay in Hindi uh but I think in terms of like the bilingual mindset you know as a person I'm continuously thinking in several languages and then um English is always like, it's like, there's a comma in my mind, and then comes the English. <laughs> uh, but within the text of the poem, I try as much as possible not to translate. Um, I think I try to make them structurally so sound that there are enough context clues to understand what is happening. Wow. Uh, but also, I'm absolutely of the, of the idea that if people care, they can Google it. <laughs> um I am not a fan of like disclaimers and you know notes and such uh because it it interrupts the speed, uh interrupts the page and it also brings in the question of gaze and who are you writing for and I'm just like most of the times I'm writing for the little girl I used to be and wouldn't she find it odd if somebody was like by the way in English that is called um So that's, that's usually, I mean, also I have had to like learn this by trial and error. I obviously have done things where I explain and then have gotten out of the habit of over explaining. Um, And. In performance, I think it makes for a nice conversation point. For example, one of my poems references Deepika Padukone, who is like a smoke bomb superstar in India. Um, So I just prefaced with that, and I'm like, if you all don't know her, please Google it. Uh, So it it (laughs) kind of becomes fun. But I'm never sort of, I never want to fall into the trap of uh, explaining to you know exoticize my culture. Mm -hmm. I think that would be that would not do justice to the poem or to my lived experience
0: but you you said you said that you kind of were seeing what other people were how other people were treating the open mics Um, were you finding was there ever a conflict between things that you thought you wanted to say in either English or Hindi but the audience might not have either understood one or the other and so maybe that was there ever like a personal conflict with that or did you ever have to figure out how you we were going to approach an audience that day because of the poetry you wanted to read?
1: Hmm. I I don't think I ever like um, thought about the audience up front. I've always thought about what the story is first, um, and. I think I've always sort of, when I perform in Bombay, it has uh, predominantly been in spaces that are very comfortably bilingual. So the, you know, the option of either or has never quite uh, come up.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, So with Mother Tongue Apologize, Um, I love asking timeline questions. So, When did you start? When was the first, you know, the first words, concepts that eventually became this book? Uh, When when did you start and when was the last edit made?
1: Mm, Lovely question. So I, uh, because obviously I'm a student of commerce and economics, love putting numbers to everything. uh, I do want to preface by saying I was asked this question by my professor who was also my thesis advisor and helped me bring this book to life. And he asked me, so how long did it take you to write it? And my
0: mathematical
1: <laughs> brain was like, 4.5 years. Um, and he was like, no, your whole life. And I'm like, this is true. At, you know, at an intellectual and philosophical level, this is right. very true. Uh, but in, in terms of like, elementary, you know, numbers, I think uh, my mother passed away in the year 2008. Um, I was 22 at the time, uh, and two months within her passing, I was going to start my first ever corporate job. Um, I was very young, I was um, just, I think the dominant emotion flowing through my body was shock. Um, And then from the atmosphere of shock, I sort of, you know, shifted my life gear to the four walls of a cubicle or like a desk. (laughs) Um, So I, I think I never quite processed what had happened in my personal life and my familial life because I was so gainfully and you know ambitiously distracted by things that happened in an office setting and that was my life um but when I started hearing people perform uh Poetry and comedy. My a lot of my first few poems, and I'm talking about the year 2010, um, so about 12 years ago. Uh, a lot of the poems that I was writing unprompted referred back to my childhood. Uh, it was always directly, um, you know, ABAB rhyme scheme. It was just very, very sweet, saccharine nostalgia driven by childhood stories. Um, until I realized that the common thread between all of those was not an ache for childhood, but an ache for the time that I had with my mother. Um, and it was, you know, sort of grief showing itself to me. Um, and that's when I realized that I need to honor, uh, the grief that I feel for her or I'm beginning to understand. Um, and that's when I think I started writing, um, more deeply about the time that my mother was unwell, uh, my absence during that period and what our house and my father daughter relationship look like in the absence of uh, my mom, who, you know, really was the glue that held the triangle of our nuclear unit together. Um, So yeah, realistically speaking, I would think 2010, I started my MFA in 2016, and the book became my culminating thesis. um, And that's when I started sending it out to contests and it was published in 2019.
0: Ah, wonderful. Um, That's a great, what a great story of, of a lot of, a lot of times it's kind of like, you know, we spent, I spent a year writing this, this book and, the, and lately it's been a lot of pandemic poetry. So a lot of people talk about, I started this in 2020 and finished it here. What a beautiful story to have a history with, you know, with a book um, to have it kind of work with you over those, those few years. I love that. Um, in one of the descriptions of the book on bookshop.org, uh, it says that you are, I want to, oh, did I, I closed it. Hold on a second. <laughs> it says, this is, this is the fun of, of editing my uh, my cumbersome mistakes here as my phone decided not to hold on to that page. Um, Nobody's at There we go. <laughs> there we are. All right. So on bookshop.org, it says here that... Um, you're like a reporter on the beat. And I like that line because for you, when it comes to poetry, um, it seems to feel like they really are, you are looking at that specific moment. You're looking for, for one period of time uh, in this one space. Um, so do you feel that poetry has, you know, a narrative quality to it throughout a collection? Um, can can poetry be uh, a standalone piece on its own uh, inside a collection? Um, and what does it mean to be a reporter?
1: Mm, I love that question. Um, I think uh, because for this book I was so locked in uh, to the you know, to my mother's passing. And literally, if I sort of hold any of those poems up to the light, even the more political ones are the ones that sort of talk about rape victims in India, or the ones that talk about how women are treated on the bus and things like that. But literally, if I like hold these poems up to the light, I can sort of see the day or the week that my mother passed. It's like so ethereally clear like i can touch the texture of it so in in that sense i think the idea of transcribing a time into poet poetry i think what it really did for me was just like you know perhaps people write fiction is that it helped me set up the social and political climate within which i was experiencing grief mm. um And the idea of being a reporter or like becoming that person who was on the beat about everything actually came with like multiple iterations of writing the godmother poems. Uh, Because I was so, and I think that is the flip side of being attached to that one idea or, you know, seeing my mother's corpse had narrowed my focus or deepened my intensity so much that I was almost... Uh, unable to see anything that happened outside of it. So my teacher, uh, you know, the wonderful D.A. Powell sort of gave me this advice that you need to some to sometimes write into the fire, you need to pick up the tripod and the camera and place it somewhere else. Uh, which like sort of widened okay. the lens of, of what I was writing into. Uh, just like I said, you know, it was nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. When I looked at it closely, it was like, nope, this is not nostalgia. This is the loss of your mom. Uh, And then when I looked at like, you know, the 40 mom poems, I was like, wait, this is not just about mom, this is about womanhood in general, Mm. Uh, but specifically in the Indian context, and how women are harmed within the medical system, uh, you know, within the within the system of marriages within the system of dowry within the system of um, rape, not getting aftercare, their bodies not even being honored, not being returned to the families. Um, and then sort of what happened was, uh, the grief started stacking up, then it was not just personal grief, but it was also communal grief. Um, and it what what brought the book really together was the fact that I was also writing all of these, uh, you know, uh, Bad Sex or Mediocre Sex Poems, um, which which was a lens again in how women's bodies are treated. Um, And I think that was a really important discovery because um, my mother's passing coincided with uh, the beginning of me uh, exploring my own sexuality and sexual relationships. So loss and sex have just been like uh, very tightly intertwined in my life. Uh, you know, one becomes like the coping mechanism for the other right. until it doesn't. Um, and therefore, I think when I was when I kept thinking about loss and sex, the, I couldn't just stop at the story of my life and my mother's.
0: Oh, that's I, I love that. Um, I really I fan, these are fantastic answers. I really appreciate it. To get back, the background like information it... is fantastic. No, it's really it's wonderful, especially because I like to go back and reread each person I talked to. I end up going back and kind of diving back into the work. So it's always fun to have a different perspective when I can now go back and you know, pick up a book again and, and kind of say, OK, so here's here's what we've talked about. Um, as we kind of bring things to a close, who are the authors right now that you're really excited about? Who are you reading um, and who should we know about?
1: Oh my gosh, I am absolutely enjoying uh, in terms of latest publications, um, a novel by Sarah Thanka Matthews. All this could be different. Uh, it's recently been shortlisted for all the big prizes as well. Um, in poetry, I'm reading Franny Choi's latest book, um, which is also fantastic. And Meena Kandasamy has uh, translated um a Tamil poet, a Tamil male poet, who has uh, previously not been translated in English. And that book comes out in a couple of months. So I'm excited for that.
0: Oh, very Um,
1: And then lastly, um, I'm also reading much, much later from when it was published, Zizi Packer's collection of short stories, uh, which is absolutely like every line is an explosion.
0: Oh, that's awesome. thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ 20. It's been an absolute honor to speak with you. um, And I truly look forward to seeing what comes next for you. Uh, So thank you. Appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for reminding me uh, of, you know, the journey of this book. It's, it's often so easy to forget.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you for writing it. Um, And Please have a wonderful rest of the evening and uh, I look forward to staying in touch.
1: Absolutely, look forward to hearing more from you.
0: Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the poetry questions TPQ20. Please like rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.